as exciting as it is to build a business, there are definitely down moments. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, it's unavoidable. Yeah. But when we're passionate about what we do, which is really, it, it just makes us, I think, uh, gives us one more reason to overcome those challenges or those low moments because we really care for the subject. And um, it makes it more fun. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back, I'm so glad that when I was 20 or 25 or even 30, somebody didn't give me a million dollars because mm-hmm. I wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I earned everything I learned and everything I know now, I earned my own way. My role as an entrepreneur is to create systems in place to set that will help them to do it in a very efficient way. Um, my role is to create the vision and the mission for the organization, set clear goals and objectives, communicate priorities, and put the right people in places. And that's next on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. So, the big question is this. How are ambitious people like us, who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, were not born into wealth, how do we become resourceful enough? Use our creativity, our dedication, and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams. Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app, or making it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. Hey listeners and viewers, we have created a tremendous community of bootstrappers, entrepreneurs, and professionals who are ambitious, resourceful, and want to get things done. We brainstorm, support, and help each other out. Come join us. Navigate to bootstrapping.group. That is bootstrapping.group. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. Today, we will be talking with Alexandra Ifimova. Alexandra is the CEO of RP Group International, which she founded in 1998 and grew into a premier brand of footwear, apparel, accessories, and wellness products. She is an entrepreneur and leader with extensive experience in developing collaboration among individuals and organizations throughout the business, nonprofit, governmental, and educational sectors. She holds an executive diploma from the Harvard Business School. Uh, She appeared on the Inc. 5000 list. She was an EY Entrepreneur of the Year finalist in 2017. And she has been featured in many publications, including Forbes Women, Bloomberg, Newsweek, NBC Chicago, and Crane's Detroit Business. Welcome, Alexandra. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you. So such a warm welcome. It's a true pleasure to be on your podcast for such an important topic, which is one of my most favorite topics in life is entrepreneurship. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, we have a lot of aspiring and existing entrepreneurs in our, uh, in our audience. And we also have career professionals who want to you know, climb that corporate ladder. But at the end of the day, the principles for entrepreneurs and professionals, they are very similar. They overlap. You know, um, so um, Let's start there. You know, let's talk about your journey. How did you get started uh, in entrepreneurship? Me starting as an entrepreneur was a true accident. Mm. With my family, we came to United States in 1993. I completed two years of high school in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then I started my undergraduate studies. And I studied international business. In my life back in Soviet Union and Russia, I was a dancer, ballet 
competitive bottom dancing. Also graduated from Hermitage Museum Art School, thinking I will be building a career in the world of arts. When we came to the United States and I started my uh, education here, I get really interested in business classes. And growing up in Soviet Union, we really didn't even have the concept of entrepreneurship. So I didn't grow up dreaming of having my own business or even seeing anybody around me having their own business because everything was owned by the government. So I started in my undergraduate studies and um, as part of my education program during my junior year, we had to write a business plan for one of the entrepreneurship classes. Mm-hmm. And um, some students wrote a business class a plan about starting a restaurant, transportation company, a bank. And I thought, what do I know and what do I like? Mm-hmm. I love dance. I love arts. I know a lot about Russia. What is Russia famous for? We're famous for ballet and putting mm-hmm. men in the space, amongst many other things. So I thought, well, why about I write a business plan on what it's like to import some ballet shoes from Russia? And after I completed the plan, uh, I thought, well, I am putting myself through school. I'm working. Um, but this plan that I wrote as part of my education sounds like a pretty good plan. I mean, I put a lot of thought and work into it. So I decided to execute it. And this is exactly how I started. I was 20 years old. I lived in a college apartment with a roommate. Mm -hmm. I um, used $1,200, which was a financial aid from the state of Michigan for that semester. I used that to finance my... um, my business cards, opening a corporation in America, buying the first supplies, and going on the first uh, local business trip to see customers. So this is how I started 21 years ago. Currently, we are one of the premier brands of dancewear. It's called Russian Point. We are sold in over 550 stores. We also have a very successful e-commerce business and with official suppliers to many top dance companies around the world. We offer a full selection of dancing products, apparel, footwear, accessories, wellness, and um, we do it for all types of dance. Ballet, tap, jazz, character, modern, lyrical, and many others. Awesome. That's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, um, one thing I noticed which is quite interesting is that you made your hobby something that you really liked and you were passionate for. You made it into a business how much that had a role in actually growing this business to the extent that it has grown over the years? I feel very fortunate that I found an opportunity to build a successful business in something that I'm truly passionate about. Mm-hmm. And um, I spent my whole life dancing. I danced for University of Michigan ballroom dance team. So, mm-hmm. And I really believe that the arts, fitness, dance, movement is good for people. At any age, at young age, girls not only learn beautiful technique, but it teaches them skills that will help them succeed in all aspects of their life. Uh, Discipline, focus, teamwork, performance, confidence to be on stage. These are all the skills that they will need when they become successful career bankers or entrepreneurs, doctors, engineers, public speakers. Mm -hmm. And... um, as exciting as it is to build a business, there are definitely down moments. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, it's unavoidable. Yeah. But when we're passionate about what we do, which is really, it, it just 
makes us, I think, uh, gives us one more reason to overcome those challenges or those low moments because we really care for the subject. And um, it makes it more fun. Um, you know, all my team members, they're very passionate about dance. They either used to be dance teachers or they're still uh, coaches, judges, um, or they danced as a child and then they majored in business. And it's like a perfect uh, merge of two um, things, their passion for dance and their education and marketing, for example. So it certainly made a difference for me. But at the same time, I want to warn the entrepreneurs who or as uh, somebody who is thinking what business to start is that there's a little sense that my passion and my hobby for dance became a bit of a work. Uh-huh. And 14 years ago, I stopped dancing because I wanted to have that separation between my business and my hobbies and passions, yeah, yeah. which um, kind of strengthened my love for dance because now I'm really excited to wake up in the morning and go work with dancers. But then I developed some really fantastic other da- uh, hobbies beyond mm-hmm. dance. So this is like a little bit of a stick uh, with two edges, the positive one, because it makes right. us really excited to work in the industry. Yeah. But in a way, like I lost that as a passion, as a hobby, because yeah. they work. I see. That's a very good point, actually. I've never uh, heard anybody share it, uh, that point of view that, you know, if you are uh, very passionate about something and you actually incorporate that into your business, it, you know, it's, it may feel overwhelming because you, it's your passion and you're dealing with that all day, 24 hours, seven days a week. So, yeah, I mean, I can see how that, that can become a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. Great. Um, now let's talk about um, your early success. You said, you know, you had $1,200, you started uh, the business. So I assume that was the only investment you put it in there. So almost like a bootstrap your business. Yeah. So early success, I would say it's a very over glamorized statement. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's another important thing that I want to share with aspiring entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. What you said in my introduction, the Forbes article, the, um, Inc. 5000 less the Harvard Business School, this came much, much, much later, mm-hmm. together with the financial rewards that made me able to afford a beautiful apartments and phenomenal trips and luxury cars and many other great things that people associate with success. Yeah. In the um, longest, longest time of life before I was, uh, while I was growing the business, it was very, very difficult and I struggled tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, $1,200 was definitely not enough to, 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 to grow the business. Uh, so I had to figure out how to be creative in every possible way. Um, I would reinvest everything that I would make, reinvest it back in the business. Um, I would have to be creative. How do I use my little funds available to get the maximum impact? And in a way, I'm very happy about this because it also taught me how to find ways to use our marketing money, to use the time, the limited resources to get the maximum effect and maximum yeah. results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's so true. Like that goes hand in hand with bootstrapping and that's why I'm quite passionate about that. Um, do you think now, like let's say earlier on, if you met an investor, a rich uh, investor, and they said, you know, I like your idea, I'll, I'm willing to invest a um, million dollars in your idea. Do you think you would have been uh, successful, uh, you know, in, in this to the same extent as you have been right now or bootstrapping is a better way to grow a business and 
uh, take it to the level that you are at? It's a very good question, and I think it depends. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back, I'm so glad that when I was 20 or 25 or even 30, somebody didn't give me a million dollars because mm-hmm. I wouldn't know what to do with that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I earned everything I learned and everything I know now, I earned my own way. Maybe it was slower. Maybe mm-hmm. I would have moved faster. But mm-hmm. I feel such a confidence now and understanding of every process because... Yeah. I used to be the one packing those boxes and taking it to the UPS station. I used yeah. to be the one going to every single sales call, every single trade show and picking up the phone to process that order. So I understand how the customers think and I understand how the product design works and how the inventory management works. So now if I do bring investment from the outside, whatever the format is, I definitely make a much better choices how to invest it. And I always invested as it is my own money, not as somebody else's money. Because when it's yeah. not your own money, it is much easier to waste it. And yeah. when you're in a situation where, which I've been to, uh, UPS would stop coming to pick up the boxes, mm-hmm. where the phones got shut off, when electricity got shut off, and when I get kicked out of my university for not paying the bills, that's mm-hmm. a very different mode of survival that yeah. I had to figure out how to fix the problem and how to fix the you know, mistakes that were made. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that, those are uh, really true um, signs of, you know, a bootstrap entrepreneur getting through tough times and learning from it and growing from it. So thanks a lot for sharing that as well. Uh, now, one of the things that I like to talk about uh, with people who have immigrated from abroad because immigration seems to be a very hot topic these days. Um, Do you think you had some advantages or disadvantages having grown up in a different country, different culture, uh, and then coming over to America to start a new business? I have never thought and I never questioned myself whether it's advantage or disadvantage because I can't change it. I just got to deal with that. So I... I was too young, I think, to even think about that I'm in disadvantage. I was 15 years old when we came, and I'm like, okay, well, now I live in America. I got to learn the language. I got to figure out how I'm going to do with my future. Things changed. Um, My parents got divorced, so now this is my new life. And back then, 26 years ago, I think we didn't discuss so much in in a society, in the media, that immigrants are in disadvantage or women are in disadvantage. I never felt that I'm in disadvantage because I'm a foreigner. I speak two languages. That's an advantage. Um, I'm a woman. Maybe I can use my charming smile sometimes and fix certain things that uh, maybe a man can't. Um, I I, I always thought of like, I want to turn my, what seems like disadvantage into advantage. I was 20 years old who started the business. And they didn't even take me serious in the print shop. They didn't even take me serious into anywhere. In the bank, they thought I'm like a secretary. And, um, but guess what? You know, it kind of toughens you up as a character. It teaches yeah. you how to prove with results that you earned the seat at the table. And it's only the results that speak louder than words. So um, I never thought that um, it's in disadvantage and I don't want anybody to, who comes from a foreign country um, look at it as you, you had an experience in life and um, moving from one city to another toughens you up, but to yeah. do it across the country is, it makes you even better as a, as a person. 
Yeah, that's an excellent advice. Um, now, uh, let's talk about uh, getting customers. So you, how did you get your first customers? Well, let's go back into 1998. How did we get our customers? It was either knocking on a door mm-hmm. or I was using Yellow Pages to make uh, cold calls, right? There was mm-hmm. very basic internet with a dial-up. There was no Google, there was no Yelp, and um, there was no social media. So the only way we could locate customers was Yellow Pages. Mm -hmm. And I would open the Yellow Pages in the letter D, and I would make phone calls to everybody who is in that category, whether it's a dancing supplies or dancing schools. And at that time, I spoke English only four years, so I had a very thick Russian accent where I would have zero marketing experience. I didn't know what a good sales call is like, so I would approach customers, and it was something like, sounded like this. Um, My name is Alexandra. I have shoes from Russia, and Russian ballet is good, and you must buy my shoes. (laughs) <laughs> okay. So if the customers awesome. didn't hang up on phone on me, that was already a very successful phone call. Yeah. So that's how we started. And also, if you think about it, so if you live in, in Arbor, Michigan, the only yellow pages you have in the, your phone booth or delivered to your home is from mm-hmm. an Arbor area. I see. And maybe you can get the yellow pages from Detroit. If you can have phone, call, phone numbers from New York or California, so I would literally ask my friends who would travel to different parts of the country to rip out pages from yellow pages wow. with the letter D from different parts of the country. And that's how I would collect numbers because to buy a mailing list was too expensive for me. So if you ever came across of a yellow pages with the pages missing in the letter D, that was probably my fault. Okay, awesome, awesome. That's great. Uh, the, this conversation is uh, so full of wisdom, and uh, it's it's really funny and uh, uh, you know informative at the same same time. So it, I'm laughing because you know I've gone through similar things where you know you don't have resources and you just need to figure out you know how to how to get this information, whatever you're looking for, and you come up with these creative ways of doing things. And sometimes it's even embarrassing to admit that you did this. So uh, thanks a lot for being honest and sharing that. Now, from there, how did you scale it? Like when I talk about scale, scaling a business with entrepreneurs, you know, a common story I hear is, you know, there's a spurt uh, of growth and then it plateaus for some time. And then, you know, you figure out something else and then it grows a little bit and then plateaus. Did you experience that or was it like a sort of a steady rise in your uh, business growth? Yeah, so I would say in our case, it was a steady rise with a kind of sales and the percentage of growth. Mm-hmm. But one of the big things um, I learned as entrepreneurs, my role as a leader is to lead mm-hmm. and to work in the strategic alliances. And there's a couple exciting developments in our uh, business I will be happy to share with you um, if you're ready. And um, to inspire and coach my team to perform at the best of their potential. Mm. Then my role as an entrepreneur is to create systems in place to set that will help them to do it in a very efficient way. Um, my role is to create the vision and the mission for the organization, set clear goals and objectives, communicate priorities, and put the right people in places. So once I learn how to do that, then we started growing together as a team faster, adding new products, allocating new customers, investing in the technology, going on more sales trips, putting more educational programs. So that's what 
um, I was able to do. So um, now, just very, very exciting. Recently, as you know, we started our own podcast, five, six, seven, eight podcasts for people on the move. That's been a kind of a great media PR opportunity for us. Mm-hmm. And then recently, we acquired a new brand in the fitness um, and wellness industry. So now we have um, RP Group International, the holding company of multiple brands for dance, fitness, wellness, and media, which each brand is strong enough to live on itself and function. But then there's a synergies between the brands and between the back office. And that's what I always had in mind for my business. So now I'm just really kind of high, I think. I mean, I don't know. I've never done drugs, but I think that's what feeling high is like is this dream of operating the successful enterprise and um, portfolio of brands. That's great. Well, congratulations on all the success. Um, Now, uh, uh, one thing I wanted to, um, let me see. Uh, Yes, team. So you brought up um, a very important point about team. So when you bootstrap your business and you're growing, uh, there comes a certain point where you cannot handle the business activities by yourself. So how did you recruit the team? How did you pay them uh, when you were, you know, struggling uh, to pay yourself or even pay your rent? Yeah, very good question. My very first helper was my roommate. Mm-hmm. So stu- two students sharing one apartment. So my roommate would help me pack boxes after classes in yeah. exchange where I would pay portion of her rent. So mm-hmm. that was my very first employee. And then there was a couple other students from Armenia, actually, who were my friends. So they would help me pack boxes. So that's what it was. And definitely, I had to pay them before I paid myself because they depended on me. I see. So now I'm very lucky. The team I have, very proud of them. Uh, it's, there's a um, great commitment and passion for success and for what we do, believe in the brands and synergy between the team. And one of my happiest moments in the office is when I hear my colleagues, you know, laughing, drawing on the whiteboards, putting ideas together and, and all of this is happening even without me. I'm a little jealous sometimes because they're having their own brainstorming meetings that they're going to brief me on later. But like they're just yeah. having such a fantastic time together as a team creating something and they can do it without me. And it's like almost like uh, allowing them to do it without my own oversight, which is so awesome. Awesome. That's great. So obviously you have built a very good culture, uh, you know, nourishing culture. How did you, how did you do that? What, what do you look for uh, in people when you hire them and how do you nurture them? How do you get them to a point where they're autonomous and, and doing things out of their own passion rather than you pushing them? Yeah, it's a very important question. I think all leaders, we ask ourselves, how do we do it? And how do we build a good, healthy culture? Um, and culture, it's, it's what people do when no one is watching. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what, like, do they do the right thing when nobody is watching? Do they do it on their own? And um, we, I look, we look for people with integrity, with um, work ethic, mm-hmm. with um, honesty, and people who qualify and know what they're hired to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a full transparency who is responsible for what. We keep them accountable. We have regular check-in meetings, depending on how big the project is or ongoing meetings. And um, also people need to understand how their part of the work fits into overall company um, 
projects and overall company movement. Because if they're only doing, let's say, inventory management, it could, it, and they need to, this is only as far as they see, but understanding how doing the inventory management well, how is that impacted by marketing, by the sales team, by the new collections we're introducing, by the new markets we're opening? They need to understand how they can do their job better, but then also if they do their job great, how that's going to help the rest of their team and their colleagues to do their job even better. And as a result of it, we have more business. So then we can add and design more products and then their job becomes even more impactful and then we'll win as a team. So it's a day-to-day, and it's in the small things. Yes, we're talking about the big strategy, but it's in the small thing. Are we holding the door for somebody? Are we able to, are we offering to help with the, maybe carrying the bag if somebody just came back from the trip with the suitcases from the trade show? It's, are we celebrating birthdays and successes? So it's, yes, it's a big strategic planning, but it's a personal mm-hmm. human-to-human relationship. And that's okay. being built when we're together. You know, you can't build a corporate culture if everybody sits in a separate Starbucks across the country. That's not a corporate culture. You've got to be together. And I joke that we, you know, you got to be around purple walls, which is our corporate color, <laughs> because that has a positive impact on you. So yeah. it's, uh, we live in a very remote world, but I think it's so important that we all still get together. Awesome. That's quite inspiring. Uh, now, you also mentioned you grew your business with collaboration, partnerships with others. How important is that, especially earlier on when you're trying to sort of get new sales uh, quickly and grow your business rapidly? Well, it's important to have in partnerships and alliances, whether it's um, organizations in the industry, whether it's a local business clubs, maybe local universities, a mentorship group, or a peer support group of other entrepreneurs. So it's having the network of people to reach out to that are maybe not necessarily your clients, but somebody who's, um, who can help you, whether through the network or through ideas or um, advice or connections, they're very important. Cool. Uh, and as you are growing your business, um, do you sometimes feel that, things which used to work sometimes start to break down as you're you know, scaling and you're growing? Uh, or, or is it a linear sort of uh, process of just scaling your, your internal processes and people and team along with the business? Yeah, it's a great question because the only constant in life is change. Mm-hmm, yeah. Change is hard. It's, hard. it's against the human nature. Yeah. I think one of the things that I learned to love about my life and about life as an entrepreneur is the change. Mm. Whether it's a change of scenery when I'm going on a hiking trip um, to Mont Blanc with National Geographic or whether it's learning um, a new um, hobby like kayaking or being an entrepreneur of changing and improving in a constant mode. And um, currently, right before our interview, I was in a conference call with um, system we up with a team, company that's upgrading our back end so all the inventory management um customer base so um technology we're completely gutting it out and it's scary yeah. because it's going to change the way we process orders the way the team has to learn new things yeah not to mention that cost uh, i think like three times more than my first condominium that i ever <laughs> purchased um, so it's scary, but at the same time, I see what an opportunity that's going to give us 
to grow faster. Yeah, yeah. The hard change for um, a lot of entrepreneurs is giving up control. Yeah. Because entrepreneurs, we look at our business as our child and our everything. I mean, we put our life on the line for this business and giving up control, even for highly qualified people that we hire to be our managers and vice presidents is very, very challenging. So it's, um, uh, I think we need to learn how to embrace change and how to be comfortable with the change because the only thing constant in life is change. Yeah. Well, those are really uh, good words of wisdom right there. Letting go of uh, control is, I think it's very, uh, how can I put it? Like it's right there at, uh, in the top uh, few things that entrepreneurs need to learn to do. And it's really hard as you put it. And, you know, I struggle with it uh, on many occasions and still trying to figure it out. But, uh, but yeah, it's very, very important. Um, now, uh, you have done a lot of things right. Uh, but you must have made some mistakes along the way. So can you share a few mistakes that you, uh, that you consider taught you really um, significant lessons and what lessons were those? It's a very good question. I think we um, best it, mistakes are unavoidable, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully we learn from our mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely quite a few wrong hires that I did. And, um, when I look back, I definitely see a lot of little signs in the beginning, either during interviews maybe, or right in the beginning that were like you know, red flags that I kept mm-hmm. avoiding or I chose not to notice or I brought it up to the attention and then my team all convinced me that you know it's either fixable or we need to give a person more time. And in the end, it was a... You know, a, a, and we have to let go of certain people, but in some cases, that person caused a lot of trouble, whether it was, um, you know, internal turbulence, whether it was a ruined relationship with the clients. So one of the I think, main things that I learned is to listen to my intuition. Mm-hmm. Things I learned from my mistakes is to listen to my intuition, to do more due diligence, not to avoid warning signs in the beginning, and um, and I think if I would have been better equipped with maybe analyzing people or interviewing better um, at that time, you know, I could have maybe avoided some of those mistakes. But um, you know, it is um, it, it it's part of uh, owning a business. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, now let's talk about your podcast five, six, seven, eight. So what is it about? It's it's an interesting name. <laughs> so. When you tell it to a dancer, it say, I know what it is. It's a podcast about dance. <laughs> so, <laughs> so typically what a teacher, dance teacher will say right before they start a class. So there's a routine, like, hey, I'm five, six, seven, eight, go. So that's when all the dancers get up and they start dancing. Um, and so we were looking for a name that is not strictly tied into dance and ballet, but then something that would be very recognizable by uh, people in the industry. And um, I just feel like we're in such a phenomenal industry of dance and there's so many lessons to learn from dance that go beyond the dance floor or the stage. 
that I wanted to share this phenomenal stories with extraordinary people in the world of dance with um, my audience. Um, and um, I interview uh, uh, artistic directors, professional dancers, um, executive directors of dance companies, as well as people like food podiatrists, Pilates instructors, entrepreneurs, or the people who used to work as dance as children, but now work in the different fields, executives in a, in a bank or in a nonprofit organizations, in engineering firms, to show them what they learned as dance, uh, in dance as children, how it's helping them to succeed in life. God. It's been terrific. I love doing interviews. I hope you're enjoying doing interviews as, as much as, uh, as I do, because every time Can I do I get off the phone. I'm like, this is so cool. I learned so much about this person. Exactly. No, it's so interesting just talking to people, talking to, you know, sharing their successes, sharing their failures, learning from them. And uh, yeah, it's the best thing in the world. And uh, I get, you know, as, as, as you know, we get to talk to so many accomplished, experienced people that uh, it'll be really hard to get their time otherwise, you know, but, but this medium allows us to connect with them. It's, it's amazing. Yes. All right. Uh, this has been a very enlightening and very entertaining conversation. Thank you so much. Now, before I let you go, can you tell us how people can reach out to you and check out your products and uh, yeah. share uh, your passion for dance? Yeah, thank you. So I have my personal website is alexandra.com. Mm -hmm. um, I have Instagram, World with Alexandra. And uh, our company's websites are russianpoint.com. Mm -hmm. uh, podcast is 5678.com and um, our fitness company is called uh, flexistretcher.com. So awesome. thank you very much for inviting me to be a part of your interview. Thank you so much. Thanks once again. And that's all for now. Until next time. And if you are an existing or an aspiring tech entrepreneur, then I invite you to check out my new online workshop, Bootstrapping Your Tech Startup Dreams. Go to bootstraptechstartup.com and sign up for free. I want to make sure that more successful and sound decisions are made every day in your tech projects. Let's start finding solutions to your problems. So go to bootstraptechstartup.com and I look forward to helping you with your tech projects. If you want more engaging videos and insightful interviews with industry's thought leaders, then check out other videos we have picked for you, the link is right there. And if you want to be notified about our new content, please do consider subscribing to our channel.